0: The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg
1: So we learn that when a Jew studies Torah and a Jew does a mitzvah we become completely nullified and absorbed within Hashem. Within Hashem's holiness. His transcendent level. And this is true of all Jews, every Jew. Not only the patriarchs and the very righteous ones. The difference is that they feel it, they sense it. We don't sense it. But it doesn't change the fact. The fact is if we do a mitzvah, we become absorbed in in the holiness of of Hashem. That's where we left off. I'm holding on the bottom of page 693. Therefore.
2: Therefore, the sages of blessed memory made it obligatory to rise and remain standing in the presence of anyone who is engaged in fulfilling a commandment even if the latter is uncultured and illiterate. When such a person performs a mitzvah, such as bringing Bikurim, the first fruits to the Beit Hamidash, one must rise before him. This is because Hashem dwells and clothes himself in this man's soul at such, at such time. It is only that his soul is unconscious of this sanctity that resides within him at the time of his performance because of the barrier of the bodily grossness within which the soul dwells which has yet not been refined and which dims the eyes of the soul preventing it from seeing divine visions as experienced by the patriarchs and others of their stature who saw their world the spiritual world to come during their lifetime
1: and the tzaddik does a mitzvah tzaddik dances from joy because he's able to sense the Divine we can imagine what would what would make us very happy like, you imagine if you found out that you won the lottery 150 million dollar lottery it would bring a smile to your face right <laughs> honestly a little more than a smile
3: but it can cause bad. problems
1: too you will worry about it later I you'll settle for a million you'll settle for a million but for the tzaddik every time he does a mitzvah he won the lottery the joy that you have you imagine the best day of your life the best business deal the best breakthrough the stock you invested lucky you the last nine stocks all went down this one stock you hit the jackpot you'll be the happiest person in the world a tzaddik is someone who every time he does a mitzvah he hit the jackpot he won the mega million he hit the ladder he won it he's dancing from joy are you kidding I touched the divine I'm absorbed within the holiness of Hashem and he gets excited about it that's a tzaddik that's why he's a tzaddik and we're not he's a holy Jew he's a holy person he senses godliness when he puts on the pair tefillin he's jumping with joy you know when you would see the Rebbe after davening walk out of shul you would see him literally you saw his face walking in before prayer and then you would see his face walking out of prayer he was like a different person he was rejuvenated charged up his face was you know something happened you know we davel before or after but a tzaddik is someone who's he's alive he's in touch he senses he hit the jackpot I'm in touch with Hashem I touch the divine he gets all excited he gets a taste of the future while we don't sense anything. We're blind, deaf and dumb. But it doesn't change the fact. The fact is that at that moment when you do a mitzvah, Hashem's holiness, Hashem's transcendent self, transcendent holiness, dwells within the soul, and the soul becomes part of Hashem's holiness. Just like the level of the patriarchs. The only difference is they feel They're conscious of it. And we're not conscious of it. We have eyes we don't see. We have ears we don't hear. And, um, but it doesn't change the reality. The reality is that when you do a mitzvah, you become part of the holiness. The holiness of Hashem. You know, on Pesach, this Shabbos was the yard site of the 22nd yard site of the Rebbe. Zim, the Rebbe's wife, Chaimushka, and uh, on Pesach in the Rebbe's house they would make uh, someone would make the wine for the Rebbe for Pesach it was homemade wine instead of buying from the manufactured wine because Pesach were very careful everything should be down to the last crumb everything should be 100% so you don't trust any manufacturing everything is in-house but that year the one who made the wine was sleeping on the job the wine just came out tasting horrible <laughs> Like you can hardly take it into your mouth. And uh, at the seder, it was the rabbi and his wife and the housekeeper. I heard the story from the housekeeper. And the whole seder, the rabbis drank the wine and she could hardly, you can hardly even drink it. It was like, it wasn't undrinkable. And she kept on like kibitzing the whole time with the housekeeper. Whoever made this wine, we have to arrest him, you know, because they came from Russia. In Russia, he did a crime. Like joking around that whoever made this wine, it's like, it's, it's unbelievable. It's like a crime. How can you make such a wine? What kind of wine is this? <laughs> this is, this is, this is. And the whole say that they were like joking with each other, you know, like... Uh... Anyway, the Rebbe didn't, didn't say anything. But at the end of the meal... When she finally said, you know, she said, whoever, whoever made this wine has to be arrested. So the Rebbe said, yes, you're right. <laughs> but you should tell this Jew who made the wine that despite everything, we did the mitzvah of the four cups of his wine and we brought down all the godly things that you accomplished by drinking the wine, by doing this mitzvah you draw down all the holiness and all the godly things that you have to draw down into this world we accomplish with this wine. (laughs) So we should know that uh, so the mitzvah, when you do a mitzvah, there are tremendous things that happen when you do a mitzvah. You draw down holiness. You draw down Hashem's infinite essence into this world. You draw down His holiness into your soul and whether you feel it or not it doesn't change the fact it doesn't change the reality which is why the Torah says when a Jew does a mitzvah you stand up in front of him when the Jew would come with Bikurim with the first fruits and take it up to Jerusalem as they were passing through whoever saw them carrying the fruits making the pilgrimage to the Temple Mount everyone would stand up why? because they're doing a mitzvah because they're doing a mitzvah Hashem is with them the holiness is with them whether they sense it or not it's a fact so I'm not standing up for this peasant it's not the peasant I'm standing up for I'm standing up for it because at this moment he's busy fulfilling a mitzvah and Hashem is with him Hashem's holiness is with him his transcendent holiness is his soul has become part of Hashem's transcendent holiness and therefore I stand up in front of him and I respect the divinity the divine it's interesting the one who sees it most we don't see it You know, but the anti-Semite season. You know, what was the first thing the Nazis went after? All the pictures. They would go after the beard. You know, they saw a Jew with a beard. They would drive him nuts. They would humiliate him. They would shave him in the street. They, they, They would trample. Because, you know, they saw the holiness. There's a holiness there. There's a divinity. Whether you're conscious of it or not, it doesn't change reality. There's something, there's a presence. It's a reality. And that's why the Torah says you rise. You stand up. Because of Hashem's presence, Hashem's holiness that's here when this Jew is doing the mitzvah. Okay, you want to continue? These great tzaddikim.
2: Yes. These this great tzaddikim were able in this world to see the divine visions normally seen only in the world to come. This was so because their bodies having been purified did not conceal godliness. Truly each and every Jew would be capable of witnessing such visions of holiness during the performance of the mitzvah, were it not for the coarseness of his body.
1: So it's the ego. The ego godliness. gets in the way. The ego gets in the way. I, I, I. In America, I is a capital, <laughs> capital I. I. So the I gets in the way. The I doesn't allow. I want this, and I need this, and I demand this, and I have this, and I, 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 I. So the I gets away. It's not the body. The body is not. There's nothing wrong with the body. The body was created by God. The body is a miracle. It's the ego. It's the coarseness. The I. I need this, and I want this, and I demand this, and whatever I want, I need and I must, and I have to, and it's me, and I, and, you know, we can't get beyond ourselves. So a person who's egotistical becomes coarse, self-absorbed, self-centered, it coarsens you. Not, we're not talking about a person necessarily who indulges, who, does, who violates prohibitions, who does evil, who does things that are prohibited. Even someone who's following the Torah, is doing mitzvah. he's following the Torah. He's only doing things that are kosher and permissible. But yet he does it, he indulges. He does it with such pleasure. It's all about I and I need and I want and I think and I don't think and I I I. You can't get away from the I. The whole point of Torah and mitzvot is to get beyond your I. To get you know, think about Hashem, not about yourself. And here you can't stop thinking about yourself. Even the Torah mitzvah that we do also becomes I. So what's God going to what has God done for me lately? How is this Torah going to enhance my eye? So that coarsens you. So when you spiritually coarse, you lose all sensitivity to holiness. You don't get excited about holiness. It doesn't affect you, doesn't touch you, doesn't move you, doesn't change you, doesn't inspire you. And therefore the Torah leaves you flat, uninspired. You do the mitzvot, but you don't feel anything. It doesn't get you excited. It feels more like a burden than an inspiration. You do it more, more out of fear, not of love there's no connection there's no, nothing inner there's no inner stirring when you do a mitzvah when you do a mitzvah there should be an inner stirring an excitement an inspiration an uplift I just did a mitzvah are you kidding I just touched the divine and instead it leaves you cold leaves you indifferent leaves you flat ah, another obligation you have to do what you have to do you have to pay income taxes you have to do a mitzvah it's an obligation it's a commandment you better you know what's best for you but that's you're missing the whole point. The Kiddushinu—it's a marriage, it's a connection, it's a link, it's a, it's holiness, it's Hashem's holiness. I'm becoming one with Hashem, with Hashem transcend, with God's transcendent self, His holiness. And yet, nothing stirs nothing stirs inside. Nothing excites me, and this is because of the coarseness. Were it not for the coarseness, we would jump from joy when we did a mitzvah. We would rush to do a mitzvah. The synagogue will be packed. There will be lines out the door. But we don't sense.
3: This is also the meaning of what Asaf said under divine inspiration on behalf of the whole community of Israel who were later to be in exile. The barriers that conceal holiness are particularly strong during the time of exile. Concerning that time, Asaf said, And I am foolish and know and feel not. I was as a beast before you, yet I am continually with you. This means that even though I am as a beast when I am with you, even when I perform a mitzvah, and am thus united with you, I am still like a beast.
1: The Rebbe points out, it's unusual for the Alter Rebbe, he's quoting a verse in Psalm, Psalms 83, uh, 73, I'm sorry, Psalm 73, where Asaf is discussing the idea of righteous people suffer and wicked people prosper. And it bothers him. And he says, it makes no sense to me. I have no way to explain it. He says, until I enter into the temple and then I realize that they're successful temporarily, but then suddenly they're going to, they're going to get their comeuppance and ultimately they will be punished. So, and then he continues, I am like an animal with you and I am constantly with you. So Al-Tarebi says, usually we just quote the verse. Why does he quote who said this verse? The verse begins, la Asaf," A song for Asaf. And why does he say that he said it with divine inspiration? Not by not way of prophecy. He wasn't a prophet, but he, was, he said it by divine inspiration. What's the difference? Prophecy is a direct... Like God, verbatim, God is speaking to you and you see it. Divine inspiration is like a thought, an inspiration. It's a lower level of pra- than prophecy. It's a lower level than prophecy. It's like the first thought that enters your mind. It's a divine inspiration. So, why is Altarebi explaining to us? Because the simple meaning of Asaf's statement is, Asaf is speaking for his, his generation. Asaf lived in the time of the temple, as he says in the verse. I couldn't explain why wicked people prosper until, and he says, if I would speak my, my thoughts to the younger generation, I would cause them to lose faith, because look at, look at the discrepancy. Righteous people suffer and wicked people prosper, until I entered the temple. So obviously Asaf was living in the generation of the temple. So the generation of the temple maybe would make sense. You, they, they, they were a generation that was in tune with godliness, by definition. The times of the temple was a time when godliness was manifest. That's why we had a temple. The fact that we don't have a temple today is only a symptom because godliness is hidden. We're not in tune with godliness, and that's why the temple was taken away from us. It was destroyed. In the times of the temple, especially in times of Asaf, in times of prophecy, the era of prophecy, the Jewish people were on a very high level. They were in tune with godliness. So when you're in tune with godliness, it's easier to sense godliness. But Asaf is not only speaking for his time. Asaf is speaking for all future generations, including our generation, when there is no longer any temple, when we are no longer in tune with godliness. We don't sense godliness. We don't respond to godliness. We're like spiritually retarded. We don't feel. We don't sense. We don't see. We don't react naturally to godliness. And, and that's what he means, that I am like an animal to you. In other words, just like an animal. I don't feel anything. I don't sense anything. And nevertheless, I am with you. So that's what Al-Tarebi is saying, that Asaf... Although Asaf lived in the times of the temple, but Asaf said his song, sang the song, he was written with divine inspiration. So he wasn't only speaking for his day and age. He was speaking for all future generations. By divine inspiration, he was speaking for the future. That there will come a time when the Jewish people won't ha- will no longer have a temple. Meaning they won't be tuned in. They won't be fine-tuned. They won't be tuned in to spirituality and godliness and even in that generation although I'm like an animal we won't sense anything we don't see anything just like an animal doesn't sense and doesn't feel and nevertheless I am constantly with you when I do a mitzvah I'm still with the divine because by doing the mitzvah Hashem is with me whether I feel it or not even though I'm still like an animal I don't feel anything but the the fact remains that I am with you and that's why he brings the beginning of the verse he begins the beginning of the verse is I am like a fool I don't know and I am like an animal with you, and I am constantly with you. And that's the only part of the verse that he explains. That although I'm like an animal with you, in other words, I'm like an animal who don't, doesn't feel, doesn't sense, but nevertheless, I am constantly with you. Through Torah mitzvah, I am constantly with you. So why does he bring the beginning of the verse? I am foolish and know and feel not. Because this proves the point that al is making. That Asaf was making two points. One, he was speaking for his generation a generation when there was a temple. As he says earlier, until I entered into the temple and then I was able to explain and made sense to me why the wicked prosper because eventually they will have a big downfall. Because that's speaking to his generation when they were in tune with spirituality. And, and that's the first half of the verse. I am like a foolish and I know and feel not. But then the verse continues. I am like an animal. Why does the verse continue? It's like a double, it's like a repetition. I am like a fool, foolish and know not. And then he continues, I'm like an animal with you. Why does he have to repeat? It's, it's just a repetition. So he's saying, he's not, it's not a repetition. He's saying that it's a lower level. One level is, there's a temple, but I'm foolish and know and feel not. And then I enter into the temple, and then I, suddenly I feel and I know. But then there's a second level. When the Jew goes into exile, when there's no longer a temple. And we reach a point where I am with you. What do you mean I'm with you? I am doing a mitzvah. I am doing something holy. I am engaged and occupied with fulfilling, doing a mitzvah. And yet I'm like an animal. Unfeeling. It doesn't move me. It doesn't inspire me. It doesn't touch me. I don't sense. I don't feel. I'm like, I'm like an animal. Completely insensitive. And yet, even in that level, even when in the level of exile, even when I'm so exiled from spirituality and from godliness, I'm so out of touch with spirituality and godliness, I'm so alienated and so far away and so distant that even when I'm doing a mitzvah, I remain like an animal, unmoved and untouched, uninspired. Nevertheless, he concludes, I am constantly with you. The fact remains that when I do a mitzvah, God is with me. At which level of God? Kiddushon, or God's holiness. God's transcendent level, his holiest level, his inner level, is with me, totally with me, because I am totally unified and one with God, his holiness, even though I don't feel it. It doesn't change the fact, it doesn't change the reality. So that's, that's Ossaf's inspirational message that he's leaving us, and he's speaking on behalf of the entire Jewish people, not only his generation, when the Jewish people had the temple, when they were on a high level, an uplifted level. He's speaking even for future generations, like our generation, when the temple is destroyed. And we can reach such a low level of spirituality that even when we're with God, we're doing mitzvot. And yet we're like an animal. We don't respond. It's like, huh, what, when, where? No response. And yet, God is with me. Constantly. When I do the mitzvah, I'm totally unified and absolutely one with God.
0: So when the righteous suffer, what's their reward going to be? Spirituality? That no reward? You're saying that- No. Uh, I mean, I, oh. thi- I see oh. the answer. No, right? no, like, he's you know, speaking When he's the wicked right. suffer, right. they're gonna have a downfall. Right. But what, what's the righteous gonna get?
1: Well, firstly, when, when you realize what you have, Yeah, you have the wealth. This is the wealth. Depends how you define your wealth. Honorable mention. (laughs) Not the material wealth. When you you, you realize the wealth that you have, what's what's a billion dollars? How can a billion dollars compare to lighting a Shabbat candle? How can a billion dollars compare to putting on tefillin once in your life? How could you compare? What's wealth? You want to know what wealth is? You do a mitzvah, Hashem is with you. Whether you feel it or not, Hashem is with you. Just like when you have money in the bank. It doesn't matter if you feel the money. As long as the money is there. When you do the mitzvah, the money is in the bank. You have that mitzvah, you have that connection. You're part of Hashem's holiness, transcendent self. That transcends the entire universe. So all the entire universe together. Is insignificant. If
0: I had the money, I'd be able to do more mitzvahs.
1: Okay, so please, God, you will. But, 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 it's how you define yourself. What the wealth when you realize the wealth that you have. You know, it reminds me of the story. There was two, two rabbis, and uh, one his congregation showered him with money, and the other one. He couldn't get a penny out of them. And they, uh, they were once discussing, he said, I don't understand why I can't get my people to part with their money. And you, they just shower you with money. He says, you know the difference between you and I is? He says, I couldn't care less about money. He says, you love money. He says, when you speak, you impart Whatever you love, you impart to your audience. So you love money, so you impart <laughs> loved it, so they hold on to their money. I couldn't care less about money. I' not how I define myself. So that's what I impart to my audience. so they just, they just give it and shower. It's not how you define yourself. Money is wonderful, but if, if it's, as long as it's not how you define yourself. If you define yourself by your money, then it's a wicked person that prospers, and it's, 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 it causes you a headache. It's, 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 not, it's not a blessing, it's a curse. It's a curse. It's, 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 it's oppressive. But when, when, when it's not, it doesn't define you, then money could be the b- biggest blessing. You, like you say, you can do tremendous things with it, as long as you not, as as not defined by it.
3: My soul, being unaware of and insensitive to this union, achieved between my soul and Hashem through performing a mitzvah, for were I to be aware and sensitive, my soul would be affected in a manner which should bring down upon it fear and awe first, followed by a great and pleasurable love that experiences delights, a love wherein the soul delights in godliness, or a love like fiery flames of ardent longing for godliness, like the qualities of the Sadiqam whose corporate reality has been refined. When Sadiqam perform a mitzvah, they actually feel how it unifies their soul with God, This, in turn, awakens within their soul a feeling of fear and awe of Hashem, followed by a feeling of intense love of Him. This, of course, is not the case with those who feel not.
1: A tzaddik, when he does a mitzvah, he feels a sense of awe of Hashem. He senses a sense of of Hashem's presence, and then he feels a sense of love for Hashem. As a result of the mitzvah, he feels the holiness of Hashem, and he responds. You're in dread of Hashem. You become completely egoless and nullified before Hashem's presence. Hashem is here with me. And, you, and Hashem's holiness, transcendent self, is here with me. So you become completely nullified before Hashem. And then you, you also develop a a flaming love and longing for Hashem. Um, so this is the tzaddik. The tzaddik census Because the difference between the animal and a person is animal doesn't have any das doesn't have any sensitivity animal has no shame right animals don't get red with shame animals 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 don't Uh, animals don't uh, have any sensitivity a person who's like an animal has no sensitivity Mm -hmm. like a child there's no there's no you know there's no maturity there's no real sense you know you behave and you don't realize the implications of your behavior you don't sense you're not sensitive sensitivity this is the sign of maturity this is what distinguishes a human being a mature human being from an animal from an immature child or an animal so so too you can have a soul who can be very knowledgeable philosophically but they have no sense of godliness we can be brilliant we can understand we can comprehend. But we have no sensitivity. And the proof is, nothing stirs inside of us. We do the mitzvah, and, we're, and it's cold. It leaves us cold. We don't, we're not jumping from joy. We're not excited. A tzaddik, when he lights the Hanukkah candles, he is in flames. He is burning up. It's not the candle that's burning. He's burning. Because he, he's a human being. He's a, he has a sensitivity. He senses what's going on here. He senses the divine, the divinity, the godness, the experience of the mitzvah. The mitzvah is an experience. The mitzvah is not a ritual, a custom. It's not some abstract intellectual concept that leaves you cold and indifferent. That, that's the definition of an animal. You're doing the mitzvah, you're with me, as Asaf says so you see, I'm like an animal even when I'm with you God. I'm doing your mitzvah. I'm with you. I'm in the shul. I'm wrapped in the talas, wrapped in the tefillin praying, doing the mitzvah and yet I'm cold. I'm cold like a fish. No movement. No chain. No inspiration. No love. No awe. I don't feel closer. I don't feel longing. I don't feel love. I'm like dead. I don't feel anything. This is an animal. A spiritual animal. So you can be brilliant and bright and philosophical and genius, but you have the emotional maturity of a child. Emotionally, you're like a little baby, you're like a child, you're like a, an animal. No sensitivity because of our egos. So being a brilliant Talmudic scholar doesn't make you one iota less egos. On the contrary, you have your honor to protect kidding. I, I really am an ego because look how brilliant I am and how knowledgeable I am in comparison to the everyone else. So the ego gets in the way and doesn't allow us to sense the godly, to get excited about the godly. But a true tzaddik, there's no, there's no barriers. He's transparent. He senses the divine and responds to the divine and gets excited by the divine and responds naturally. He has a level of awe. Then, which leads to a longing and a love and a yearning and a connection.
3: How do you develop that if, if it's hard to be that way? Because we all have egos and...
1: Well, firstly, just knowing that your ego gets in the way. Mm-hmm. And knowing that, that what's really going on, whether you feel it or not, your soul does experience it whether you feel it or not, the reality is that something divine is going on. And were you to feel, you would get excited. So that alone is enough to humble you, at least. Mm-hmm. To approach the mitzvah with humility. At least try to sensitize yourself. Try to get a little excited about doing a mitzvah. Attempt. Spend the prayers instead of, instead of being the fastest locomotive, you know, the speediest train. <laughs> spend the prayer to really get into the prayer, you're talking to Hashem spend the time to really fulfill what you're saying love Hashem with all your heart, let me try to really experience it let me me try to get some inner response let me try to feel a little inspiration a little joy, a little love, a little connection a little something instead of just mouthing through the words and just getting by the obligation and the technical, mechanical laws how you're supposed to this is getting beyond the mechanical and the technical and taking out your measuring sticks and your rulers to measure the matzah and to see how big it is how small it is to really get into the experience you know, they say Chassid is not afraid of Shulchanan he's afraid of, the, of Hashem it's not about the, the laws and the technical and mechanical but to get into the soul to get inside into the divinity of the mitzvah that there's a marriage there's a relationship with Hashem there's something real going on here Try to get a personal response. Not to be so detached and disconnected, and so like a disembodied, surreal, like disembodied, disconnected, just pure intellect, abstract, without your soul, your kishkes. When you do a mitzvah, you touch your kishkes, your whole being. This is a marriage, a relationship. Can't be cold and indifferent and detached and observant from a distance you have to participate you have to jump in just like marriage you can't, you can't have marriage being cold and detached and observing from a distance marriage by definition you have to jump in with every fiber of your being every bone in your body it has to affect you and touch you and move you and reach your kishkis and touch every part of you so too When you daven, as King David says, Every bone in my body is saying the words of Hashem. That's why a Jew shakes. His whole body shakes when he prays. Because it engages your whole being. You can't remain cold and indifferent. When you walk into a synagogue, the synagogue should be, there should be, you know, real global warming. It should be a warming experience. It should be some warmth, some, some, some inner stirring, some inner movement, some inner change. Not just mechanical and external and superficial, like most synagogues. So so this is, so at least knowing, knowing what we're missing, knowing that I am like the animal. And if it bothers you, and then I can try at the best of my ability to work, at least let me try to feel something. Let me study a little Tanya. Let me study a little Chassidus. Let me meditate and reflect a little. Let me take the davening to heart. Let me take the mitzvah to heart let me take my studying of Torah to heart let me take love your fellow Jew like yourself to heart let me take my relationship to God to heart this is personal, this is upfront. this is real like we started out in the chapter this is a personal relationship, if God loves me and he's attracted to me, I can't help but love God in return and be attracted to God in return it gets personal so yes we're not on the level of the tzaddik and perhaps we never will be until Mashiach comes but at least we can aspire to get a glimpse of the tzaddik, a taste of the life of the tzaddik. That's our aspiration. Not to go through a full day of Torah, mitzvot, and it leaves me cold. And it's brilliant, and it's mechanical, and it's external and superficial. Nothing personal. It can't be. It's something lacking. Something missing. Because if I am aware of this, then I'm really like the animal. <laughs> and it doesn't bother me, and I don't try to do anything about it. <laughs> then, then I'm really a, a behemoth. So, but but he's, that, and that's what he's consoling us, and he's telling us, that you should know that although we do not sense, even though when we're doing the mitzvah, we remain like the animal, we're insensitive, but we should realize the fact is that God is with us. And our soul becomes unified with the holiness of God, with God's transcendent level, the way God is for Himself.
0: Ruz is known the term Daat connotes the sensitivity of the soul, and this is comprised of Chesed and Gavura. Chesed gives rise to love, and Gavura to fear. Only when one possesses the attribute of Daat and spiritual sensitivity will one experience the kinds of love and fear of Hashem described above. Das. Is wisdom, is understanding. What
1: does Das, knowledge, add to understanding? Once you understand something very well and thoroughly and you comprehend it in depth, what does Das add? Das doesn't give me new information, but Das gives me a sense. I start sensing the idea, a sensitivity, a conviction, a, a internalizing the idea, personalizing the idea. And, and that's the connector between the intellect and emotions, emotion. Because once you start personalizing it and internalizing it, then you get excited. And well, both emotions, the right and the left, the, the, the attraction and the repulsion, the awe and the love. So once you start feeling the godliness and you start becoming sensitive to the godliness, then you respond two ways. Firstly, you're, you dread and you're in awe of God's presence you feel completely humbled and nullified before Hashem, insignificant before Hashem, and then you also develop a love, a yearning, an attraction, a pull. You want to connect with Hashem, an ecstasy. You want to connect with Hashem. So this is a result of Das, which the Tzaddik has. That's what distinguishes us from the Tzaddik. Or in general, the generation of the Temple, they were like on the level of the Tzaddik. They were on a much higher level. That's why they had the Temple. It was the era of prophecy. They felt Godliness. They sensed Godliness, the first Temple and therefore therefore when Asuf says that I am like an animal even when I'm doing Torah Mitzvot he's not describing that generation because that generation were not like animals while they were doing Torah Mitzvot while they were doing Torah Mitzvot they responded naturally they got excited they did respond there was some inner stirrings but he, and uh, and it's the first half of the verse that's, that's, he's, that speaks of his generation. And then he continues, because he, spe- he wrote this composition with divine inspiration. He's speaking for all future Jewish generations, not only his generation, even the generation of exile. He says there'll come a time when the Jews will do the mitzvot, I will be with you, and yet I will be like an animal, completely insensitive. Nevertheless, I am constantly with you. How am I constantly with you? If I'm like an animal, if I'm insensitive and I don't feel any sense, how is it possible I should be constantly with you? You know how? Through Torah and Mitzvot. That's the gift of Torah, the code of Jewish law, that 24-7, I can constantly be with God by from the morning till the night, by constantly filling my days with mitzvot and filling my days with the studying of Torah. That's how I can constantly be with God, even though I'm an exile. My soul is in exile. I don't feel. I don't sense. I have eyes that don't see and I have ears that don't hear. But nevertheless, I can constantly be with God just like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How? Through Torah and Mitzvot. If My day is filled with Torah, with Jewish things, with Torah and mitzvah, That's how I'm constantly with God. So that, that's the consolation. And knowing that gives us tremendous joy. That God loves us. And He's attracted to us. And He has lifted us up from, from, the, from the heap. And He has brought us into His palace, into His innermost chambers. Because despite our lowliness, God still loves us. And He has brought us and become intimate with us. By giving us Torah mitzvah that we can constantly be intimate with God 24-7. Constantly kissing and hugging and being together with God 24-7. How can we help but respond in kind? If God has given us such a love, despite our lowliness, He still loves us and is attracted to us. Now, today, not thousands of years ago, today, in our state of exile, in our spiritual state of exile, our spiritual state of lowliness, God loves us and He's attracted to us and He's with us in His innermost chamber through Torah mitzvah His level of holiness every time we do a mitzvah He's taking us into His innermost chamber how can we help but love God in return with all our heart we can't help it like the mirror can't help but reflect the image back so too our hearts can't help but love God the fiery love and therefore nothing will stop us from pursuing Torah and mitzvah to constantly hug God and kiss God and be intimate with God Torah with Torah, nothing in this world can possibly stop us, we can interfere and get in our way, we won't allow anything to interfere and we'll do everything we can to study Torah and do mitzvot, and this is a studying Torah with a love if God cares about us we can't help but care back about God so this is how we can achieve a vibrant Judaism, a vibrant level, of Judaism that's alive that's soulful, that's spiritual, that's heartfelt, that's sincere. Today, each and every Jew, the lowest Jew, not only despite our lowliness, but because of our lowliness. Like we said in the beginning of the chapter, we learned in the beginning of the chapter, that God loves us. God is so great and we are so low. We're ex- especially today, we're in exile and God loves us today, here and now. We, how much more so we can't help but love God and care about God. So we do the mitzvahs with love with sensitivity with joy with passion it's a judaism that's lie.
0: nevertheless i am continually with you for the corporeality of the body does not prevent the union of the soul with the light of the blessed Ein so who fills all worlds corporal reality can only prevent the soul from being conscious of its unity with God inasmuch as it hinders the revelation and awareness of the unity accomplished before the performance of the mitzvah. It cannot, however, hinder the actual unity objectively affected. As it is written in Tehillim 139, even darkness cannot obscure you. Accordingly, since as above, every Jew who performs a mitzvah is granted the unity and sanctity of supreme holiness even when he does not perceive it as does a tzaddik. One will be able to understand the severity of the punishment for transgressing the prohibition of work on Shabbos or that of leavened bread on Pesach, which equally applies to war. Question is, why is it
1: that every Jew, doesn't matter a great Jew, Great scholar, a holy Jew, simple Jew, cobbler, a tailor, a thirteen-year-old kid, any Jew, thirteen-year-old child, twelve-year-old child, any, any Jew who violates a prohibition is punished. So let's say a Jew desecrates Shabbat, God forbid, or a Jew desecrates the holiday of Passover. By eating bread on Passover. You desecrated the sanctity of Passover. But how could you compare the desecration of a holy Jew when he celebrates Shabbat, when he celebrates Passover, there's holiness. By desecrating the, the, the sanctity of the holiday, we can understand why he gets punished. But a simple Jew, what holiness? You don't feel any holiness. You don't sense any holiness. Why does the simple Jew get punished also how is it possible that the punishment should be the exact same punishment the tzaddik and the simple Jew how could you compare the tzaddik whose level of holiness is so great should be a severe punishment a simple Jew his level of holiness is a very small level so therefore his punishment should be on a much lower level and yet we find in the Torah there is absolutely no distinction the greatest, if Moses sins or the simplest Jews sin, the exact same punishment. And he brings, he could have brought any example. Which example does he bring? He brings the example of working on Shabbat and eating bread on Pesach. Why these particular examples? Because what's unique about these two prohibitions is Shabbat is not inherently. The prohibitions of Shabbat are not inherently prohibited because Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, not only are they permitted, it's a mitzvah to work. On Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it's a mitzvah to plow and to sow and to do all these things. So you're not dealing with something that's inherently negative. On Shabbat, the prohibition is on the person. The Jew is not allowed to do work on Shabbat, creative work on Shabbat. It's not so much the work itself that's inherently wrong. It's on Shabbat is a prohibition on the Jew, on the person, on the individual, not on the object. The object itself is is innocent. What's wrong? The object is found in a Jew's home. You have the fire and you have this. There's nothing wrong. It's not something prohibited you have to throw out of your house. It's in your house. But on Shabbat, you are not allowed to do anything creative. And if you do, you desecrate the holiness of Shabbat and you get the severest punishment. But it's on the person and the same thing is with Pesach bread, all year round bread is kosher challah on the holiday of Shavuot that was the whole highlight of the whole holiday was the bread offering in the temple bread, not matz. on Pesach suddenly bread becomes not kosher, not even a crumb of bread so you can't say that inherently there's something wrong with the object itself bread, there's nothing wrong with bread it's on Pesach. The person is not allowed to eat bread. So he's, he's, he's bringing an example from two prohibitions where the emphasis is not on the object. There's nothing wrong with the object. The emphasis is on the person. That the person has an obligation to sanctify Pesach by not eating bread. The person has an obligation to sanctify the Shabbat by not doing creative work on Shabbat. And then you go ahead and you violate, you desecrate this holiness. Therefore you get punished. So, consequence, you get punished. So, since the whole emphasis is on the person, you would think that surely there would be a distinction between the tzaddik, the great person, the giant, the spiritual giant, versus the spiritual midget, the tzaddik, who's mystical, whose head is in heaven, who's in tune with the heavenly, with spiritual, with the divine, with higher levels of consciousness, and the simpleton, the cobbler, the tailor, the simple Jew, doesn't feel, doesn't sense, knows from nothing it's like the animal completely insensitive and yet the Torah says that both of them receive absolutely the same punishment it doesn't matter if the holiest Jew eats a piece of bread and Pesach or if the simplest Jew eats a piece of bread and Pesach if the holiest Jew lights and strikes a strike, some match on Pesach on Shabbos or the simplest Jew they both are punished and they both are punished equally how? how could you compare the holiness of a simple Jew to the holiness of Moses? You know, it's like the classical understanding of mitzvot. Before chassidus, the classical understanding of mitzvot is that a person is influenced by his action. So could you imagine if you took someone who's tone deaf, with zero musical interest, ability, or talent, but every day, every single day of his life, in the begin- morning, the beginning, the middle, and the end, you would throw in music. Before you sit down for breakfast a few keys. Before lunch, play the guitar. Before supper, you know, play, play, play the accordion. Every day, and then on weekends, spend three hours hearing a musical concert and special occasions, the whole focus is music, 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 you know, even if a person would be <laughs> have tin ears and would be completely tone deaf, you can't help but develop some sort of sensitivity to music. You can't help it. You're soaking in music. Your whole life is music. You can't, a day doesn't go by where you're not constantly hearing music, thinking about music, talking music, learning music, studying. Something has to rub off. Maybe little, maybe very little, but something. But no fool would compare Mozart to this, to this tone deaf. Person who's, who's playing music. How could you compare? Mozart is doing music. He's in heaven. He's, he's, he's with the angels. And this tone-deaf person is playing music. So you compare, in comparison to someone who doesn't have music at all, at least he has some sort of appreciation sensitivity. This is the classical understanding of Judaism, before Hasidism, that a person is influenced by his actions. So, of course, you have the one, the genius, just like you have the musical genius, you have the Mozart, you have the religious genius. You have one in a million. The tzaddik. The tzaddik is in tune with spiritual music, divine music. He sees the divine, senses the divine, responds to the divine, is excited by the divine, is drunk on godliness. His whole being is godly. He sees God, he's thinking about God 24 7. He sleeps, he eats it, he breathes it, he drinks it. Versus the rest of us, 99.9% of the rest of us. We're like the tone-deaf person. God, huh? What? When? Where? Who? So, so the Torah gave us, we have a program called Torah Mitzvot. Mitzvot. You know, even if you're so thick, and even if you're so insensitive, <laughs> like a piece of wood, you know, it doesn't feel, doesn't sense. like the animal. But if every day of your life, you wake up in the morning, you put on a yarmulke, and you wash Nagavasa and you say modani, and you pray, and you put on the tefillin, and every time you sit down to eat, to, to, to eat your pescami sandwich, you're going to make a blessing. You know, even if you're such a lowly soul, and even if you're living in times of exile where there's no temple, and we're so, so out of tune with godliness, Something has to rub off. I mean, you can't go your whole life, or Hashanah, you're in Shulah all whole day. Yom Kippur, you're in Shulah all whole day. Sukkah, you're sitting in the sukkah. Pesach, you're reading the Matzah. You grow up in the Yeshiva. You grow up studying Torah. You're learning Torah. You can't. Something has to rub off. Even though many people manage, even with all of that, they don't even think about God for one moment. <laughs> but something, I mean, something has to rub off. You have to be at least a slightly better than someone who's completely not exposed to anything godly, doesn't talk about God, doesn't think about God, doesn't do anything. Because a person is influenced by his actions. But no one is going to compare the simple Drew to the great Drew. How could you compare? It's like comparing Mozart to, it's like comparing Einstein to, to, to a student in third grade who's studying physics. How could you compare? And yet, you look into the Torah, there's absolutely no difference. Because according to this understanding of Torah mitzvah, there should have been a huge distinction. (coughs) When a tzaddik violates the sanctity of Pesach, or the sanctity of Shabbos, his punishment should be severe. Because the sanctity that he draws down, by violating that sanctity, it's like a nuclear explosion. He has violated such a sacred trust. Versus the, the person who has no sensitivity. Who, what difference does he make? He does play. Doesn't play as it is. His playing is so jarring to the ear. Maybe it's better if he doesn't play. <laughs> so he didn't. So he, so he didn't keep the shabbos. So he, didn't, so he violated. What's the big deal? And yet you look at the Torah. The Torah makes absolutely no distinctions. The greatest chaddik the greatest mystic, the greatest Kabbalist, the greatest genius, Moses himself. And the simplest Jew, the cobbler, the tailor, the simple, simple Jew, the farmer, the peasant, the Torah says they're both equal. A Jew who violates, eats on Kippur, a Jew who eats a drop of, uh, eats chametz, bread and pesa, a Jew who lights a match on Shabbos, gets punished equally. The most severe is punishment, because they violated the sanctity of Shabbos. So you see, there's absolutely no distinction. So obviously, there's something a lot deeper going on when you do a mitzvah. When you do a mitzvah, you're drawing down the sanctity of God, the divine sanctity, Hashem Himself. It's a marriage, it's a connection with Hashem. And Hashem's most intimate self, His own intimate level of holiness. And, His, and Hashem is becoming intimate with your soul despite the fact that you're lowly, Hashem lifts up your soul, and Hashem becomes intimate with you. He brings you into His innermost chamber, and hugs you, and kisses you, and embraces you, and is intimate with you. And, it's, even, and it's, it's closer, intimacy is the closest example we can bring, but it's even closer than that. We become absolutely unified with the holiness of Hashem, with Hashem's transcendent holiness, His infinite self. And therefore, it doesn't matter the soul of the tzaddik, or the soul of the simple truth. They're both equally united and connected with the holiness of Hashem. So when you do a mitzvah, something very real happens, whether you're aware of it or not, whether you feel it or not, whether you're sensitive to it or not. Something very real happens. And therefore, it doesn't matter whether you feel it or not tzaddik who feels it he gets a taste of the future he gets a little reward he, because his ego therefore he senses the divine so he senses some of the divine so he responds to it we have our healthy ego so we don't sense it. it's like a curtain it's like a veil we don't sense but it doesn't change the reality the reality is that our souls are unified with the holiness of Hashem and therefore they're both equal the tzaddik and the simple true are both equal And that's reflected in the Torah. That the punishment for desecrating this holiness, it's not about you, it's God's holiness. God's infinite holiness that's resting on your soul. You desecrated God's infinite holiness. doesn't matter if it's the simplest Jew. The simplest Jew has the same same level of holiness. God's infinite holiness is unified and dwells on the simplest Jew's soul while he's doing a mitzvah. So when you desecrate that level of holiness, what difference does it make? Who you are. You're desecrating the divine holiness. Just like you rise, you stand up when a Jew is doing a mitzvah, even a simple Jew, a peasant. Because it's not you're standing up for him, for the peasant. You're standing up for the, the holiness, because he's doing a mitzvah, and therefore the divine holiness is resting on him at this moment. You stand up in front, before God, for Hashem. So when a Jew does a mitzvah, Hashem is resting on that Jew's soul. It doesn't matter if he's simple. doesn't matter what it is. And therefore, you desecrated the divine holiness. For that, you get that punishment. The severest punishment. And it's equal punishment. doesn't matter if it's a small Jew, a simple Jew, a great Jew, a big Jew. Because something real happens when you do a mitzvah and something real happens when you desecrate a mitzvah. When you violate a prohibition, also something very real happens. Just like when you do a mitzvah, something very real happened. You're drawing down Hashem's infinite holiness into your soul, into this world, so too when you violate a prohibition, something very real happens. We're not playing games here. You're desecrating Hashem's holiness. You desecrated the marriage. You violated, you were not faithful, you violated this marriage. Something very real happened here. You committed adultery, something very real. Hashem is here, Hashem is present, and you desecrated this holiness. And therefore the punishment is equal because the the crime is equal. The simplest Jew, the greatest tzaddik, it's all the same. Because the mitzvah is equal. And that's why every Jew is obligated to do the mitzvah. Mitzvahs are not just a means to the end in order to develop a sensitivity. The mitzvah is the end. When you do a mitzvah, that is the end. You're drawing down Hashem's infinite self. You're drawing down Hashem's infinite holiness, Hashem's intimate self. And therefore, when you violate the mitzvah, you've also violated Hashem's intimate self, His holiest self, His innermost being. you violated Hashem's innermost trust and confidence, innermost being. Hashem took you into His palace, the holiness of Shabbat, the holiness of, of Pesach, and you violated it. You ate a piece of bread. You struck a match. You lit a match on Shabbos. Then the punishment is the severest, and it doesn't
0: matter who did it. The simplest truth, the greatest truth, it's all the same.